This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Golden Edge Game 6 podcast, wrapping up what just went on here at T-Mobile Arena where the Golden Knights lost in double overtime, 2-1 to the San Jose Sharks. We'll get into all that here on the Golden Edge podcast. Adam Hill along with Ben Goats and Dave Shane inside T-Mobile Arena, high above the ice. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure you like, subscribe, comment, share, all those things. Wherever you get podcasts, we appreciate you guys. Feeding back, everything, feeding back, feedback, whatever. It's been a long day. Whatever works. Here at T-Mobile Arena. We appreciate your feedback and your comments and uh, telling all your friends to tune in the Golden Edge podcast. Not the greatest of outcomes for the Golden Knights tonight. Tomas Hurdle guaranteed there'd be a Game 7 after the Sharks won Game 5 and stayed alive in the series. And then he went out and made that happen. The first ever shorthanded goal in a multiple overtime postseason game in NHL history say that three times fast but they don't have to they only had to do it once until Tomas Hurdle gets the game winner for the Sharks in double overtime let's break it all down and Ben first of all let's just let's just jump right to it that goal in the second overtime by Tomas Hurdle was I, I mean shorthanded goals are always kind of shocking that was stunning in that the Golden Knights were kind of dominating play to some degree especially you know late in the game there's times in the overtimes that they were controlling the pace of play and and how the game was flowing and then they draw the first penalty of overtime midway through the second overtime they're on the power play t-mobile arena is in a frenzy and all of a sudden early on in the power play it goes the other way tomas hurdle beats mark andre Fleury and shea theodore maybe a little bit lazy with the stick on the play we'll get into all that but uh, just your thoughts on that goal yeah, it was crazy for a number of reasons. I mean, one, as you mentioned, Barclay Goodrow gets called for that penalty. The Knights' power play, which had been operating at a 33% clip coming into this game, gets an opportunity, especially that late in the game where you're you know, more than halfway through a second overtime period. You're expecting the legs of the Sharks' penalty killers to be tired. So you definitely seemed like all the momentum was riding with the Knights there, especially the home crowds fired up to see that penalty called. But then not only do the Knights not score, they have a goal go the other way, which is also crazy because the Knights don't give up a lot of shorthanded goals. That was only the eighth shorthanded goal they've given up in their uh, two-year team history. They only gave up uh, two this entire regular season, uh, which was near the bottom of the league rankings. Uh, I checked that out. I mean, 21 NHL teams had seven or more shorthanded goals allowed this season. The Knights had seven shorthanded goals allowed in their history heading into this game. So that in itself was a pretty insane stat. As you mentioned, no uh, double overtime shorthanded goal had ever been scored until Hurdle did it. And all it took was a really good pass from Mark Edward Vlasic 
Really good rush by Tomas Hurdle, and I think, as you mentioned, not the best play from Shea Theodore, who's kind of one-on-one with Hurdle at that point. And I think you've got to prevent a shot attempt there if you are the defender. And then, if we're being honest, I think if you're the goaltender, at that point in a game, you've got to come up with a save, too. And so a a lot of things went wrong for the Knights in just that one little play, uh, which was crazy because... Most of the night, it really seemed like a lot of things were going their way. They just weren't able to get enough pucks in the net. Dave, what were your thoughts on the the game winner by Tomas Hurdle in the second overtime? I don't really know, to be quite honest. Um, I kind of want to see it again. At least on you know, as I was watching it live, I remember thinking that I thought Theodore was a little casual on it. I I don't know that I would use lazy. I just think he thought that it wasn't as much of a threat as it turned out to be. Just the situation, the play. You know, I mean, he was kind of from distance. Hurdle's at the end of a shift. I mean, he said after the game that he literally was, like, going to dump the puck in yeah. and, mm-hmm. and and go change. And he decided, all right, well, you know, let's fire one. Um, you know, Jared Gallant said after the game that, that Theodore kind of hit Hurdle's stick, kind of may have altered, like, the trajectory of – of the shot, the puck. There was actually a tweet that I retweeted from Mike McKenna, who is a kind of NHL, AHL goaltender. Um, and he made the same comment and basically kind of said, you know, look, as a goaltender, you're, you see it, you're expecting it, you're anticipating it, you know, and then all of a sudden the stick gets hit and it goes in a completely different spot than you're expecting it. I can understand it, but I also think, like Ben said, it's a, it's a shot that, Marc-Andre Fleury being a Hall of Fame goaltender and three-time Stanley Cup winner and situation like this, you got to get your pad on it, you know? You have to, and, and, I mean, we can talk about this too, but I thought he should have stopped the first goal in the first period too. Um, you know, our good buddy kind of asked Jared Glenn about that after the game, and I thought maybe he could have phrased it a little bit differently, but I know where Justin was going with it. Because I don't think either of those goals were goals that when Flurry looks back on them, that he'll be real happy with. And as well as he played, you know, for most of the game and stretches, and there was that, you know, scramble in overtime where they somehow kept it out and all that sort of stuff. I mean, the two goals are a little bit on on Flurry, and uh, you know, I mean, I know people love him, but hey, let's be, you know, let's be honest, let's be objective, and and let's call it like it is. Well, it's one of those things where I think. You know, he's his own harshest critic critic in a lot of ways, and that's why he's had, you know, such a Hall of Fame career is that he's, I think, you know, relatively hardened himself and he knows his own game. So so I think even he would be honest with himself and say, like, yeah, I want to make those saves for my team, especially in the postseason, especially at home where we can end this series. And now we have to go on the road for uh, the first game seven in team history, which is just going to be all sorts of fascinating yeah and i guess just to uh to go back to the comment the when i said theodore might have made a play to lazy lazy is, is a certainly the connotation is there of, of very negative i i think what it was is he didn't expect uh hurdle to really make a go of it and i think you know at that point in the game you've been on the ice for 30 minutes and uh, everybody's dragging a little bit and i think it was just like all right let's just steer him kind of the side here and and let it go and i, I don't think he he understood the danger of the situation uh, in that moment, and uh, and certainly, I think you're right on Flurry, where you know you play well most of the game. There's two that you probably want back to get by you, and you know usually if you give up two, that's probably enough to win. 
In this game, it wasn't because Martin Jones was was great on the other end. And uh, I think, you know, the question being asked of what do you think of his performance, the easy answer is I thought he was great for the most part. He, you know, let two go by that he probably wants back and you move on. Gallant took it in a very, very negative way and kind of berated the, the questioner. Uh, for asking that question, but I thought it was certainly a fair question, and I think you see the frustration uh, that the Knights are feeling of not closing things out. The other thing on that goal to maybe watch uh, going forward is that you know Tomas Hurdle after the game said he feels that they've been going glove side on Flurry a lot, and that Flurry cheated in that direction because he expected that, and that he was able to to kind of make him pay for that, which was. Uh, I thought a very interesting comment because we did see, uh, you know, some of the, the analytics guys tweeting earlier about uh, where Flurry has been beaten in this series, and it was almost exclusively uh, glove side and glove side high in particular. So it uh, makes sense that the Sharks have been going there and that Flurry maybe thought the, goal, the shot was going to go there and then it didn't. Uh, so, yeah, it gets by, and uh, the Golden Knights have to try to come back and play a game seven. Mentally, how difficult will it be to get over this in such a short turnaround time, you know, you got forty-eight less than 48 hours, you're going to be on the ice for the first Game 7 in franchise history. The Golden, Knights, Golden Knights have been through a lot, ton of playoff experience and everything else, but this is something they don't have. So, Dave, how how do you expect them to, uh, to, to handle things emotionally and mentally going into a Game 7? Again, I don't know. It's kind of a mystery. I mean, we haven't seen them in that spot. I mean, I guess you can draw on, you know, last year they were ruthless in elimination games. Um, closed out the Kings, first chance they had. Closed out the Sharks, first chance they had. Closed out the Jets, first chance they had. And they've had two chances to close out the Sharks and haven't been able to do it. You know, I mean, we've talked all year, you know, last year, this year, and what carries over, what doesn't, and all those sorts of things. Um, I'm sure there's experience for them to draw on, but it's a game seven. And I don't – I mean, I, I, one of the things I want to do tonight – is actually go back and look and who's played in a game seven. Obviously, Flurry has. I think he's won his last two game sevens, if I if I remember right. Uh, obviously, Mark Stone has played in one, um, but I'm not sure that there's a whole lot of experience, I guess, in this situation on that roster. Uh, I don't know what the line is, but I would certainly uh, I would certainly make the Sharks a favorite in this. I mean, just they're going to come back and that building to start with. Game five, we talked about this, and it was a lot of murmurs. It was much quieter than the first two games. That, that building is not going to be anything like that on Tuesday. It is going to be absolutely rocking like it was for game one. That The energy and the belief is back into that fan base, back into that building, back into that team, you know, in the Sharks dressing room. And it's, I mean, it's kind of everything going against the Knights right now at this point. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they can recover in that short amount of time. I mean, I think it was an interesting vibe in the locker room that at least I got because the Knights were obviously disappointed to lose. You especially don't want to lose a game six on your home ice where you can eliminate a team and then have to play game seven on the road. But they played really well tonight, and so I don't think there was that like sort of crushing disappointment that you, you know, maybe would expect in a game like this. Because, I mean, you look at any statistic you kind of want to the Knights outshot him 59 29 they won 56 percent of the faceoffs. they out hit them 80 to 39 which is a ridiculous uh stat to me 
And so I think a lot of the messaging you got in the locker room was, hey, we just basically want to bottle this performance up and try to take it on the road. And it's just a question of can you actually do that? I mean, they're three and three all time in playoff games at SAP Center in San Jose. They've had, you know, an up and down performance this series on the road. And it'll be really fascinating for me, at least, to see what they can do there, whether they can get kind of their mojo back. Because, I mean, we were here after game four thinking three one nights, they've been rolling maybe looks like the sharks are going to just fade away and to the sharks credit they've had a really nice resurgence the last two games so yeah i mean i think i remember us sitting up here after game four uh with the knights having won three games in a row with all the momentum with martin jones kind of imploding in front of our eyes and us all saying the series is not over it's far from over but it feels over it just did the it way did. that the way that the momentum was going, the way that the teams were playing, the way everything was just playing out. It felt over. We see now it is. It was certainly not over, and it's not over now. But does it feel the exact opposite? I mean, does it does it feel like the Knights are just headed into a loss in Game Seven, and they're just going to be ending the season on three straight losses and disappointed? I, I mean, I guess I'm answering the question. It does feel like that. I mean, is it? Is it just like an overwhelming feeling too that this is like the momentum is just completely gone? I would say no, just because of what I you know just said, which is the Knights have a lot of positives to take yeah. away from this game, and I know that there's probably a lot of fans that don't even want to hear that after a loss, but it's really true. Like if they played this well in most games, you're going to get a positive result. That's but sometimes you know in hockey you get weird bounces and stuff happens, and so. I do think there's a lot that the Knights can draw on where it wasn't like they were just like overwhelmed by the Sharks' talent. It was just the fact that, you know, the Sharks played an okay game. Martin Jones stood on his head, and they kind of lived to fight another day. But, you know, I think, as we talked about, the Martin Jones had a rough start to this series. I'm sure the real Martin Jones is somewhere in the middle between the guy who's gotten pulled twice in this series and the guy who tonight sent a franchise record for overall saves in any sort of game. Uh, so I think if you're the Knights, you take your chances of, hey, if we get middle of the road Martin Jones and perform the way we did tonight, we're probably going to win. I would agree with almost everything that Ben said. And I think it's interesting, you know, we talk about things and, and we watch on the press box or, you know, fans watch on TV and, they come away with a certain impression of a game, you know, often based on, you know, final score and maybe some analytics, maybe a few stats or, you know, things like that. And the players and coaches look at the same game and they come away with a, you know, completely <laughs> different impression, you know, or whatever of the, uh, of the game where we th we say, you know, all oh, Flurry kind of struggled a little bit or this or that or whatever. And, and like Ben said, they're, they're coming out of there as disappointed as they are to lose that game, feeling like, hey, we threw everything we needed to do out there. You know, it wasn't like they got beat 6-1. It wasn't like they got beat, you know, 5-2 and they just laid a complete dud, you know, with a, with a chance to clinch it. They came out and played – I mean, I, I didn't think it was a great start for them, but I, especially after the first period. I mean, they did everything that you have to do, you know, to win a game at home. They just ran into a, you know, a goaltender who, who happened to be hot. And I, I So I actually want to say something about Martin Jones real quick just because we've – basically like rip the guy up one side and down the other and every media member has too but so i i tweeted this and i 
I went back in my research last night, and I want to kind of remind everybody that Martin Jones going into the night series last year had the best goals against of any goaltender in NHL history that was active with more than 20 postseason games, and he had the number one save percentage of all time, or the number three, sorry, of all, of all in time the in the playoffs, in the postseason. Yeah. Okay, and then obviously the Knights wrecked him, but this was a guy that last year going into the conference semifinals was a historically good playoff goaltender and had gotten the Sharks to the Stanley Cup final. So the idea that, that this is just some AHL guy that, you know, is going to continue to get shelled and pulled in games and whatever, I think is probably a little hyperbole on our, our part as the media. Because, and, and, and again, like Ben said, I don't know that he's, you know, 58 saves good every night. But, you know, as, as, as this series has gone on, and especially the last couple of games, you can kind of see Martin Jones gaining confidence, which if you're the Knights, you're probably a little worried about because I think if they play like they did tonight on Tuesday, it's going to be the same thing where only Martin Jones, I think, can save San Jose. Could you, I mean, think, thinking back to, you know, after, after game four we had the discussion, what are the Sharks doing that the question was asked of Pete DeBoer the next day, who do you start – in goal, and he said Martin Jones after excuse, he, he said Martin Jones after Jones had been pulled twice in the first four games, and you know again the mocking and the, and the laughs and the memes and everything else uh, from Golden Knights fans. But think back in how different could this season have been? How much could these NHL playoffs have have changed as a whole if Pete DeBoer just goes, "Ah, we're going to Dell. We're going to start Dell, and he's our guy going forward." That could have changed the trajectory of the entire scope of the playoffs. That's why he's a coach, and I'm a schmuck up here in the press box talking to you guys. Speak for yourself, because I know I was I the one. Jones. Yeah, I was the one that said you no, got to go with Dell. I was, like, I was ready to go with Dell. Yeah, and- I th- just figured at that point, like you threw a hail mary, and you're you know you're just grasping at straws doing anything. And I mean, clearly, you know th- that's why he knows his team, and that's why he, you know he's he's one of the better coaches in the NHL. Because I, I mean, if nothing else, I think the team rallied around Martin Jones the last couple games too. Yeah, it, it certainly has felt that way. So, uh, you know, Ben, we've gone over certainly the goal uh, that the the Sharks won in the second overtime, the game winner uh, by Tomas Hurdle. Let's uh, get into some earlier action because I thought the first period, it, you know, as much as it comes down to overtime and whoever gets the goal wins, the first period was massive. The Golden Knights – had three golden opportunities for, you know, to use a pun, I guess. Uh, three golden opportunities in the first period. Mark Stone got it on his backhand in the <laughs> early in the first period. Uh, Martin Jones was completely juked out of his skates, and Stone just completely missed wide. Uh, there was a great pass by Stone across the goal. Uh, it was broken up by the Sharks, but Patrick would have had basically a tap-in on the far post. And uh, I'm trying to think there was another one. Was it Cody Tomas Eakin? Nosek. Oh, Nosek. That, you're right. Turned around, uh, yep. fired, missed the net. I think he, he turned around and had way more time than he thought he did. Yep, rushed the shot. Rushed it and missed it wide. So, you know, those three chances there, and then the Sharks coming back and getting that goal in the final 10 seconds uh, off a really bad no, neutral zone turnover was completely the difference to me in the game, much more so than anything that happened later. The Knights could have taken complete control early in the game. Yeah, well, and that's why, you know, you kind of talked about it earlier and how you can guess why the Knights would feel confident in the way they played is obviously there's a couple, you know, shots going a couple feet 
a different direction and you know they potentially dominate this game and martin jones stats don't look nearly as good and so it's just really interesting and a really interesting game of missed opportunities there for the knights as you mentioned if you miss your opportunities eventually it's going to come back to bite you the other way and we saw that where yeah the knights of the neutral zone turnover Derek england did not really play it well and so nate schmidt is left one-on-one with uh, logan couture and uh you know i thought couture made a great move just to get around schmidt's potential poke check and just get that shot off i didn't think that was the you know best goal that mark andre Fleury had ever allowed it's a tough spot for him because you're down to nine seconds left in that period i don't think he's expecting obviously that turnover to happen and to have all of a sudden uh probably his best defenseman one-on-one with one of the sharks best players but you know that's how it happened and then all of a sudden the knights are uh chasing the game where they had chances in that first period to potentially have a multiple goal lead dave what was your uh your take on that first period with some some missed opportunities by the knights and then the sharks stealing one there at the end yeah i mean i just think it would have been totally different i mean we've seen in this series especially the stone one because it was early and we've seen how important these early goals have been in the series. I mean, Sharks scored first tonight. Every team that scored first has so won. still yet to be a lead change in this series. Yeah. So, I mean, if that goes in, you know, who knows what, what is in Martin Jones' head a little bit? Who knows how the Knights kind of rally? I mean, it's, you know, butterfly effect. And, you <laughs> know, we can talk about, you know, this, that, or whatever. But, I mean, I, I thought it was huge for them to not be able to capitalize. I know it's an awkward sentence, but I just I just felt like if they were able to jump on him, same thing like in game five, I just felt like if they were able to jump on him, kind of steal their, their heart a little bit, it would have been totally different. And if Stone had scored, if Nosek had, sw- had scored, if they had put some doubt in that Sharks bench in Jones early, you know, maybe things snowball a little bit like we've seen it happen here. But, you know, they, they escaped. And, and not only that, that goal I thought was – was huge because it just kind of changes everything for how San Jose can play the last couple periods. And, you know, obviously the Knights are able to tie it up, but, you know, it's just you're, it's just so much different. I mean, we've talked about this, and Jones is a completely different goaltender with a lead. The Sharks are a different team with a lead. Uh, it, you know, it just felt like it just felt like if they were if the Knights were able to capitalize in that first period that we'd be up here talking about Colorado, you know, and – what's going to happen next series and that this thing would be over. But, you know, like you said, it turns out in, in, in these tight games, you, you know, you have a couple of misses like that and they always seem to come back to haunt you. Yeah. Can't, can't afford to miss opportunities like that. So uh, we've kind of hit on it. You know, the Knights don't really want to change much. They just want to capitalize on the opportunities they have. Uh, but is there anything that you've seen that you, th- you feel they could do differently or change up or the way they're, you know, trying to get out of the zone, and I know that you know both teams have been forechecking hard, uh, keep trying to keep guys from you know getting out of the zone smoothly and getting into transition. But certainly, the Sharks seem to have limited a lot of the rushes that the Knights have had. They've they've cut those down significantly when they have had them. Martin Jones has made plays. So, if is there anything you've seen that the Knights could do differently, like to change up? I mean. Uh, ben, I mean, have you have you noticed anything in your mind that you think, okay, then maybe the Sharks adjusted to this or something the Knights could do differently? The one adjustment that I definitely uh, saw from the Sharks tonight, and I'm not even sure that it worked that well, is that they had forwards leaking out early from the defensive zone. It seemed like a lot. 
They're trying for a lot of stretch passes. It seemed like they're trying to hit on as many, you know, odd man rushes or kind of home run plays as they could. But I think if you're the Knights, you're almost okay with that because I think the effect of that is the Knights had a ton of possession in this game. They had the puck a lot, and that's why they had such a big shots on goal advantage. And if you want to, you know, whatever advanced metric you want to use, you know, Corsi, Fenwick, they had huge advantages in those stats too. So, I mean, if if you're the Knights, I almost don't think you want to adjust from that. I mean, Coach Gerard Gallant said after the game, like, hey, there was nothing I didn't like about our game except the final score. And so I think even though the Sharks did make an adjustment, I'm not even sure how effective it was despite the final score. I think the Knights are, you know, relatively justified in saying this was a solid game plan. We don't need to deviate too much unless the Sharks make an adjustment. Dave, anything from you? Don't bring Gordon Ramsay and Little John <laughs> to the game? Well, f- first of all, I feel Little John actually is the only thing that fired up the crowd today. Yeah, and it was a little bit. It was kind of a tense. Everybody was kind of waiting for something to happen, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, in all seriousness, uh, I think Ben's a super smart guy for noticing that because <laughs> I, d- I, I noticed it. that in the first <laughs> period, too, that uh, there was a lot more, you know, kind of headman stretch, you know, long outlet passes that the Sharks seemed to be trying, but... I mean, we didn't see any breakaways, like, well, but like Ben said, we didn't see anything really that it kind of worked on the on the shorthanded goal. I mean, they, they got it out of there, and he you know he escaped the zone, and Vlasic put it on his yeah. Tape and I mean, I think I, at least what I'm thinking of, I don't know if Ben is too, is just more of the on ice, you know, yeah. kind of that you know try to spring somebody for a breakaway type pass. Um, what I would say for me, and I'm not sure how the Knights are going to be able to do this without the last change in San Jose, but they need to figure out a way to get that Stasny, Stone, Pacioretty line going. They've been very quiet the last two games. Uh, Stasny, I don't know what happened in that first period. I don't know if he busted his nose. Obviously, he was skating around like a freestyle wrestler with, like, the gauze rolls up his <laughs> nose. You know, he looked like a one of those high school kids with, like, just missing a singlet <laughs> or something. Um, but he just didn't look after that, at least for me, he didn't look – 100% he looked a little behind the play at times for me I don't know if he was hurt or just you know just kind of one of those nights where maybe he just didn't have a lot of jump um, I thought Stone was a little bit kind of in and out you know as, as far as his impact and, and Patch already kind of the same thing you know we've seen obviously I mean they joked about it earlier they're not going to score five goals a game as a line but the last two games it has been goose eggs is, is if if I'm if I'm correct, they need to get those guys going. I mean, we've seen the Carlson March the line get a little bit of business, you know, the last couple of games. They seem to be kind of, you know, at least doing more of their part. But the last couple of games, that, that Stasi line has been quiet. And I think, you know, if the Knights are going to be able to go up there and steal a game, that line has got to be able to produce. Yeah, uh, I think that's certainly a key. And we saw them not really be able to get it going in today. Uh, saw a little bit of shuffling of lines. Do you think that was Stastny related for being a little injured there early in the second period? Yeah, or I think I don't. There was like one shift I think Carlson took, and then I know, like I actually saw this on a couple other people. There was a couple shifts where Marcheseau was out with Tuck and Eakin, which is normal because no sick will be a penalty killer, and then right. Marcheseau isn't, so he'll go out on that line. So. I think there was just, you know, maybe a handful of shifts kind of here and there where they were plugging. I don't think it was, like, anything major, at least. And, you know, certainly for me at this point, I, I mean, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be tinkering too much. You know, it goes back to that 
you know, you got this far, you got to roll with it. So, a lot of talk uh, the last couple of days about the impact that Mark Edward Vlasic had returning uh, for the Sharks, and I thought, you know, I think one thing with defensemen when you don't really notice them, they're probably doing a great job. And I thought for the most part today he wasn't noticed until that great pass late in the game, of course, on the game winner. Uh, so, uh, I guess, Ben, what impact do you think he's had uh, for the Sharks and and what can the Knights do except maybe hope he gets hurt again? Oh, I mean, I think he's been huge. I mean, the dude played uh, 37 minutes and 14 seconds. Yeah, that's so a I, lot. I mean, it's a marathon uh, shift for him. And, of course, his uh, defensive partner, Brent Burns, uh, played 42 minutes and four seconds tonight. So, I mean, huge, uh, huge time on ice numbers for both those guys. They relied upon... I mean, so, so heavily for this Sharks team. Even in a game that goes to uh, double overtime, their sixth defenseman, Ojokim Ryan, only played seven minutes, which is just... Yeah, he didn't play after the second period. No, just crazy. I mean, so the Sharks already have this short bench, especially with their defensemen, and then uh, they shorten it even more in these tight overtime games, and they're just throwing those guys out shift after shift. So the fact that, you know, I think Blasic, especially with a... You know, as much of a gambler as his partner is, to have as clean of a game as he did is really impressive. And I mean, I mean, we, I think we kind of joked about it last game, but every single game that Vlasic has uh, started and finished for the Sharks team, they have won. Uh, they lost game two when he went out midway through, and then they lost a couple games with him out at Team Arena. But since his return, they've won two games, and so I, I think he just does such a great job filling out and rounding out that uh, top six that they got there on their blue line because it allows them to separate Burns and Carlson a little bit because both of those are offensive guys that don't always pay attention to what might be going on behind them. And it gives them another guy that they can rely upon to play big minutes in key situations. A lot made of uh, Thomas Hurdle's guarantee of a Game 7, the non-guarantee that he made after Game 5. It comes true. There will be a Game 7. His prediction tonight after the game was, I can guarantee we'll try our best. So he might have learned, might have learned his lesson a little bit. He actually laughed uh, at that question, whether he had a prediction or not. Uh, laughed about it and said, uh, no, 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 no prediction. I can just guarantee we'll try our best. So, Dave, it's our job, since Hartle won't do it, to kind of make a guess or an analysis of how Game 7 plays out. So how does it play out in your mind? I think it plays out a lot like tonight did. I, I don't know that the shots are going to be as skewed and all, all those sorts of things. But, you know, this, this series has kind of mellowed out the last couple games and turned into a really good hockey series. These are two really good teams. Lots of skill. They're both fast. Usually good goaltending. Um I would expect, you know, like Gerard Gallant said that he expected tonight to be the best game of the series. I thought he was right. 100% I would, ex- I would expect game seven to be even better, to be quite honest. You're not, not predicting the nope. winner? Nope, not after my Knights and five uh, that was flame a, out. Such a bailout by you. But, uh, <laughs> by, by the way, uh, I will again make the case. We don't have to go into it too much. I'll again make the case, as I said the other night, I think the Knights allowing the series to turn into a hockey series and trying to get rid of all that other stuff was very detrimental to them. Uh, I thought it was again today. Uh, Although they played really well, I I think they were doing a very good job of agitating and turning it into kind of something other than just pure hockey. And uh, it was working to their benefit, and they stopped it. And uh, I thought that was a mistake. So we'll see how this plays out. But 
Ben, your turn. Are you ready to give a prediction for Game 7? I'm not. Which oh, is, boy. Once I'm going to have to sleep on this one a little bit. Because, I mean, it feels like, you know, at least emotionally, the kind of the weight of the world is uh, crashing down on the Golden Knight's shoulders right now because they're the ones that have been now all of a sudden pushed through the brink of elimination. But they also, I think, overall played a pretty solid hockey game tonight that – you know, if they have to go back and watch tape of tomorrow, I don't think they're going to be too displeased with a lot of the things they did. So I don't, you know, want to crush the Knights too much for the last night, but it is still a loss that you have to denigrate them for a little bit. So we'll see how I'm feeling later on tonight. I do know um, so that st- I think... Stay tuned on Twitter? Yeah, well, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> but I am, I am really looking forward to this game and the first uh, Game 7 in the Knights brief history game sevens are always fun in sports i mean you love to see them they deliver classics because so much is at stake for both of the teams involved and i will be really curious to see uh what kind of effort the knights can muster in what'll be a pretty hostile and pretty raucous environment i'm sure uh in san jose there you go no predictions from those guys uh i think ben if you stay tuned to his twitter maybe we'll give a prediction but more likely we'll tweet about game of thrones uh if you follow ben s goats up on Twitter. It's Ben Escoats, not BS Goats. Correct, yes. Okay. But, okay, let's. I was going to give out your Instagram, but I don't think you want people following your Instagram. It's a private Instagram, you go. so, you know, good luck. Uh, so, it's Ben Escoats up on Twitter. Follow that. David Chain, LVRJ. I will not. I guess I'll. I'm not going to give a prediction, but I will say my pre series prediction was Golden Knights in seven. So, I guess I can't really veer off of that too much as much as. Uh, the Sharks feel like they've regained momentum and have everything going in their direction right now, and certainly at home. Home ice doesn't mean a whole lot in the playoffs, but in Game 7s, it does. Uh, so we'll see how it turns out. But if you want to find out, make sure you keep it locked. ReviewJournal.com, videos, this podcast, stories all over the place. Call from Ed Graney as well. Check out ReviewJournal.com for everything you need to know about the Golden Knights and everything else going on in Las Vegas, but uh, about the Golden Knights right now. That is the big story. So ReviewJournal.com, and thank you guys for listening to the podcast again. Listen, subscribe, share, comment, all those things. Tell your friends to check out the Golden Edge. San Jose, Tuesday night, 7 p.m. We'll be there. I'm sure you'll be watching. I'll let you know about everything that went on with the Golden Edge podcast after the game as well and videos, everything up at ReviewJournal.com. We'll talk to you then from San Jose, Tuesday night. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.